Welcome to the podcast for Easter Sunday, March 27th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you this day. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it had been a fabulous day. Our flight from Honolulu to Los Angeles had landed at 6 a.m. We had 12 hours to spend doing something fun in Southern California. Now, in addition to being the local pastor of IA United Methodist Church on the island of Oahu, I was also the youth ministries coordinator for the entire uh, Hawaii district of United Methodist Churches. And being the coordinator meant I got two trips to come to California, once in the fall and once in the spring, in addition to annual conference when all the pastors gathered. And I got to bring a couple youth with me each time. So we would find all kinds of fun things to do. We'd fly over on the red eye and, and spend the day doing something together before our meeting started in the evening. We would do things like the amusement parks, Disney, Universal, Knott's, even Magic Mountain. But this one time, on this fabulous day, we decided to take it easy. There were three of us on the trip. Stacy, who was a youth at my church in Iaea, Alex, uh, a young man from Maui, and myself. And our goal for the day was to find a mall somewhere. We didn't know where. Have lunch, watch a movie, window shop, basically just kind of cruise for the whole day. And it went off without a hitch. We drove up to Santa Monica near the pier. Uh, we stumbled upon the Third Street Promenade. At one end, if you've never been there, there's this giant uh, sort of outdoor mall with all kinds of specialty shops and movie theaters and different places you could eat. And then at the other end, there's a traditional multi-level indoor mall. And we hit all areas of the promenade. I remember uh, finding a shop that sold small wind-up toys and uh, took a couple of those home to Ezra and Emily. And then uh, we also found one that had puzzles. And my wife is a big puzzler, and it was fun to look at those. And then we got to see two movies for the day. I mean, we went to see one. We still had time. We're like, hey, you want to go see another movie? Sure. Uh, we got to see Black Hawk Down. Uh, it was the limited early release, only opening in L.A. and New York on that weekend. As we made our way back to the parking garage, Alex, who was soon to graduate from high school on Maui, uh, commented how relaxed, laid-back, and easygoing the day was. I mean, he's a high-driven honor student that was off to great things. He said, I have never had a day like this before. Little did he know how prophetic that statement was. We walked up to the second level of the parking garage. We popped open the trunk of our rental car, and we saw absolutely nothing. For a moment, I thought maybe I had opened the wrong trunk, but then I remembered, well, no, this key won't open a car that's not your own. And then it hit me. We had been robbed. We had parked earlier that morning. We had three suitcases and one backpack in the trunk. When we returned, we saw zero backpacks and one empty suitcase. Clothes, Bibles, CDs, toiletries, pillows, sleeping bags, and the sermon that I was supposed to preach that night at the opening worship service for the youth gathering, all gone. Welcome to the greater Los Angeles metropolitan, kids. Yes. So instead of getting to our meeting on time, I showed Alex and Stacy how to fill out a police report at the Santa Monica station. Life lessons, right? Where are you going to get those? 
And then we went to Walmart to shop for things like underwear, toothbrushes, toiletries. Man, we had never had a day like that before. So welcome to Easter Sunday, friends. I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. And as I was reading through this Easter uh, lesson, the, the, the scripture for today, I couldn't help but remember that day in Santa Monica, that initial moment of complete and utter shock, surprise, and bewilderment. It must have been a little like what Mary experienced on that first Easter Sunday. I mean, she didn't expect to see what, greeted, uh, what, what she saw when she got to the tomb. If you have your Bibles or if you want to grab the pew Bible in the seat in front of you, we're going to turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'll also be putting the the scriptures on the wall if you want to follow along there. John, chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. John doesn't say why Mary was coming to the tomb. Other writers have Mary as a part of a group of women that came to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus' body. But John is silent on why she's going. It just says she came to see the tomb. Maybe it was simply a movement of love, that, that same kind of love that brought her to the cross just a few days earlier to be there with Jesus when so many of the other disciples had left. Now she's coming to Jesus' graveside. There's so much I love about this simple sentence, including the fact that Mary came while it was still dark. Now, it could be this was just a description by the writer as to when it was that she got up and came to see, physically, to see the tomb. But I think it's a bit more than that. I think Mary's entire world seemed dark at that moment. Her emotional state, her spiritual state, her relational state, all of what was happening in her life seemed to be in the dark. Have you been there? Have you had those moments when it seemed like life, the whole world was just kind of caving in on you and you couldn't possibly see the light at the end of the tunnel? That's what Mary was going through. But she didn't just curl up into a ball and waste away. No, John says it, she came while it was still dark. To see Jesus. Now, she thought she was only coming to see his body, but nevertheless, she came. And sometimes that's all we can muster. That's all we can do. It feels like we're just going through the motions, but friends, even going through the motions can lead us to Jesus. Her big surprise, of course, is that the large stone which had blocked the tomb was moved away. Think of it sort of like a big cave. And they had put Jesus' body in there and just covered up the cave. Well, in Mary's mind, this could only mean one thing. We've been robbed, right? Someone took the body. What kind of sick, perverted person would steal Jesus' body? Was it from the Roman government? Was it the Jewish leaders that were still trying to get at Jesus even after his death? Was, Was this some kind of attempt to humiliate him even more? Was his body being desecrated somewhere in Jerusalem at that very moment? Mary had all kinds of questions running through her mind. Verse 2. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. I mean, Mary Magdalene is 
frantic. She's beside herself with worry. <clears throat> so she tells the two other disciples the news, Peter and, and possibly uh, the, God, the, the uh, disciple John. And they run to the tomb. And when they get there, they go inside and they see that the grave clothes, which had been wrapped around Jesus' body, are just lying there. And we don't know what Peter was thinking, but John tells us that the other disciple believed. And it's, it's still a bit murky, this believing. Listen to the end of this section, verses 9 and 10. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. So there's some level of belief, but not exactly sure what is all happening. And then they go home. Like, seriously? Like, after seeing that, would you go home? I mean, they didn't even go out to IHOP for breakfast after that first Easter, right? They simply returned to their homes. It, it sounds kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? I mean, if you just seen the empty tomb of someone you thought was the savior of the world, wouldn't you have some kind of response? In 2004, there was a very powerful film called Hotel Rwanda. The movie is based on true events that took place during the genocidal violence that erupted in Rwanda between the Hutus and the Tutsis, these two ethnic groups of that country in 1994. The central character in the film is Paul Rusasabagina, played by Don Cheadle. He's a Hutu who managed a four-star Belgian resort hotel in the town of Kigali. Well, as the film progresses and we begin to see these horrific acts of the Hutus, not only exposed, but they're captured on film by some independent journalists. One such journalist was Joaquin Phoenix's character, Jack Daglish. And Paul Rosasabagina, who had been holed up in his hotel as the manager once the violence had erupted, inadvertently sees some of what was recorded by these journalists that venture out into the fray. And he is sickened. And then this light kind of comes on in his head and he turns and says, wow, now the Americans will see this and they will come to help us in Rwanda. Jack Danglish pauses and then says, to be honest, I think if people see this footage, they'll say, oh my God, that's horrible. And then they'll go back to eating their supper. Friends, there are some experiences in life some surprises that we encounter that should force us to act differently once we've experienced them. And the resurrection of Jesus is one of those. Back to Mary Magdalene. She didn't return home. She stayed. This, this woman who was overcome with emotion, intense grief, bewilderment, possibly even a little fear. She's been so, through so much in the past three days. She's followed Jesus from the high priest's house to the Roman governor's palace to the execution site of Golgotha. Mary has seen it all, every painful and gruesome detail. She spent many tears along the way. And now, though, the floodgates open again as she's standing outside the tomb of the missing body. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Can you, can you picture her standing there that first Easter morning by the tomb weeping? Can you hear the desperation in her voice? She's at a complete loss at that moment. She is so overcome, apparently talking to two angels doesn't even fluster her. And that's when Jesus appears. Author Ken Geyer notes that Jesus could have done a lot of things once he rose from the dead. He could have paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. He could have knocked on Pilate's front door. He could have confronted the high priest and the religious leaders who had had him crucified. But instead, the first person that Jesus appears to is a woman without hope. Mary doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. Jesus asks the same question that the angels had asked. Why are you crying? And in verse 15, it says, Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. I love how she recognizes Jesus when he calls her by name. What a wonderful and welcome surprise for Mary because Easter is full of surprises. Children of all ages love caterpillars and love watching them turn into butterflies. The church that I served in Iaea, we were blessed to have a Hawaiian crown flower tree and monarch uh, butterflies and caterpillars loved being a part of those. So, I remember one particular year, uh, my children, Ezra and Emily, were 11 and 8 years old, respectively. They came into my office one Sunday after church, and they plunked down this whole bowl full of caterpillars that they had collected. Seriously, like 8 or 10 caterpillars that were in this bowl, and they set them on my desk. And uh, I, I was part of leading youth group right after church, and so I... Uh, put, a, put a lid on it, and I went down to, to work with the youth, and Ezra and Emily went out to lunch with friends. Well, when youth group was over and I got back to my office, as I was cleaning up and getting ready to go home, I noticed that the lid was a little ajar, and a couple of the caterpillars had, had kind of started crawling up the books uh, on, the, on the side of my desk. And so I thought, whoa, good thing I caught them. And so I, I grabbed the strays, and I put them back in, and I got a little bit uh, a tighter lid to fit on the top of the bowl, and I took them home for Ezra and Emily. Now, at home, we had one of those wonderful um, insect-hanging baskets that were made out of netting. And so we put all of the caterpillars into that, and we hung it up, and then we would bring crown flower leaves all throughout the week and feed them. And just like the book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, they would eat and eat and eat and eat. And eventually, one by one, they started journeying to the top of the netting, and they hooked themselves on and then made that J shape as they're getting ready to form into a chrysalis. It was amazing. Each and every one of them turned into a chrysalis. Well, a little over a week later, after the J's began, beautiful monarch butterflies started emerging. And of course, we released them out into the wild of Hawaii. And did you know that over the centuries, the Christian church has used Butterflies to symbolize the resurrection, to symbolize new life, transformation, power of being changed. But that's not the end of the story. A few days later, I was in my office, uh, just a regular work day, and something caught my attention behind me. 
and I turned around and saw this butterfly that was drying its wings. Somehow, that, that day that they first brought them in, he had crawled out, or she, gone down the desk, across the floor, not on the desk where I was, behind me, up the bookshelf, four or five feet, found just the perfect book to hook onto, formed a chrysalis, it had been there the whole week or weeks, and I had never seen it. It was only when it emerged into the butterfly that I realized what I had been missing. I was reminded how much God loves to surprise us. God routinely bursts into our lives in ways that completely catch us off guard. That's exactly what happened to Mary on that first Easter morning. It happens to us as well. The question is, are we paying attention to notice? Simon Peter and the other disciple had seen the empty tomb, and yet they chose to simply return home, not Mary. Verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Right? Jesus gives her a task. Go and tell others. And she does that. She preaches the first Easter sermon. He is alive. The Lord is risen. I have seen him. Because surprises in life should force us to act differently. One of my favorite professors at seminary where I attended in New Jersey is Dr. Heather Murray Elkins. And she tells a true story about a time that she was called to direct an Easter pageant at a West Virginia state penitentiary. Maximum security penitentiary. One of the roughest in West by God, Virginia, as they say back there. Just prior to Heather's arrival, there had been three deaths by stabbing among the inmates. And to say she was a little bit scared would have been an understatement. Heather was asked to direct a play about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it would, it would be only for those uh, inmates who chose to be a part of it. At the initial gathering of the play, Heather decided the best way to put on this performance would be a collection of monologues. So each inmate would choose their character in the play, and then she would write their part. They would go back and they would practice and memorize it in their cells. They'd have just a couple rehearsals, and then they would put it together for one performance only on Good Friday. As they went around the room at that first meeting, one by one, uh, the various participants chose their roles, right? Jesus, Pilate, Judas, Peter, the high priest, and round and round they went until they got to Greg. Greg said, I, I want to be the Roman soldier. And Heather said, oh, the one at the very end that says, truly, this man was God's son. That one? Uh, no. Oh, maybe one of the ones that were casting, uh, throwing dice for Jesus' garments that might have received that gift. No, he said. I want to be the one who stabs Jesus. You could have heard a pin drop. Especially given what had happened in the facility that last week. So Heather agreed to write the part. She said, I'll do it on one condition, Greg, and that is that you tell me in writing why you want to be that particular Roman soldier. The next time they met, Greg handed 
Heather a letter. But instead of being addressed to her, it was addressed to God, and it said something like this. Dear God, I don't believe in you. We are just insignificant microcosmic happenings in the universe. All we are is blood and nothing but blood. Greg. So Heather wrote Greg's part to be the very last monologue of the play. And in turn, she left the ending up to Greg. After he reached up to stab Jesus, there would be some stage blood on his hands, and Greg had one of two options. He could choose, if he wanted to, just to to wipe the blood off and be done with it. Or he could choose to respond in some way as if the blood had significance. Either way, Heather said, it'll be a faithful ending to the play and a faithful response by Greg. Well, two days before the play was scheduled to be performed, another stabbing occurred within the penitentiary. It shut the whole facility down. Heather was actually, she said, a bit relieved to know that they wouldn't have to do the play, that she wouldn't have to go there one last time. But the facility partially reopened on Good Friday morning. As you can imagine, there was extremely tight security, limited access all around. Only those who were in the play and a few of the dignitaries at the facility were even able to see the performance. They didn't have a chance to run through a dress rehearsal because of the stabbing, and so Heather had no idea what Greg was going to do at the end. The performance went off smoothly. The inmates seemed especially uh, moved by their own work. And then it was Greg's turn. As directed, he reached up, he stabbed Jesus in the side, and then watched the blood run down onto his hand, and then did something that shocked everyone. He paused for a moment, he looked at the blood, and then he cupped his hand and pressed it against his heart. And then the play was over. The, the guards were taking the inmates and moving them across the, the yard back to their respective cells. And, and Heather had no idea what had happened. And, and she almost missed saying something to him because he was being led so far away. And she couldn't stop herself and yell, Greg, why did you do it? And before going into the facility, he turned around and said, because I felt as though my life depended on it. Friends, Easter is full of surprises. It truly is. And we, like Greg, have two choices before us. According to the story in the Gospel of John, after this worship service is over, we can simply return to our homes just like it was any other Sunday. Or we can react to the transforming message of Easter as if our lives depended on it. Now, for some of us, that might mean making a commitment to come to church more regularly, maybe a couple or three times a month if we're only usually able to come once. For others, it may mean getting to know the risen Christ through the power of Scripture and spending more time in the Bible. And if you've never really gotten into personal Bible reading, we'd like to invite you to pick up a Scripture journal booklet on your way out today. And it's a very simple way of reading the Bible devotionally. Or you can go to our website, pumchurch.com, and there's a a drop-down link that says, I'm new, and scripture journaling is under that. Everything you need is there. 
For some of us, it might mean uh, taking the resurrection seriously, might mean getting involved in a small group or volunteering some of your time to justice or mission projects. Or maybe it's being the first to move towards forgiveness and reconciliation in a relationship that has been strained over the years. These are just a couple of examples of the way that we can respond to the Easter message. To be honest, I don't know all of you yet personally. I've been blessed to serve as your pastor for eight months now, and and some of you have come to know, but many I haven't. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know all of your struggles or your fears. I don't know what your challenges and dreams are. I don't know what fills you with joy and what keeps you up at night. The gift of Easter, brothers and sisters, is that it is full of surprises. And I know that Jesus is alive and that he loves us and he comes wherever we are. We don't have to get our life straight before we can come to him. We can come in the darkness and he will meet us there. Can you hear his voice calling you and me by name today? Can you sense his love for you, his promise to be with you no matter what? Because, friends, on Easter, love wins. Death is not the end. Evil cannot have the final say. Christ is alive. Hope has come. New life is available to all. So may we not simply return to our homes after this service. But instead, like Mary Magdalene, live into the truth of the resurrection. May we come to sense truly that our life depends upon the risen Christ. Thanks be to God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.